look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter number 6, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 9. You remember, we're on the fifth seal today. Brother Jacob came to me this morning. He said, no more horses. Thank God. Thank God there's no more horses to talk about, but there's still judgment that will be poured out. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was sent unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Brian, will you pray for us? Lord, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, for another chance to come in your house and to worship you, Lord, praise you, Lord. We pray right now that you will speak to our hearts. Yes, Lord. pray that we can understand what the Scripture says. Lord, I pray you touch Brother Steve to I'm not his words, Lord. I pray that you'll just help us, Lord, to Please, hear your Jesus. word, Lord, and to respond to your word. I thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, first of all, um, if you didn't get study notes this morning, they are in the back. There's some. Maybe you got the church bulletin. They're in there. I hope you've been keeping up with them if you want them, because um, uh, we're going to try to have them at the end, too. Uh, we've been going through the book of Daniel alongside of the book of Revelation. Uh, actually, we haven't been going through the whole book. We've been actually talking about Daniel's 70-week prophecy, and uh, we actually have been doing that for the past four Wednesdays. And this coming Wednesday, I want to invite you personally to come out and to be with us. Listen, if you want to, they'll feed you. You get like, I think, are they going to be feeding us this Wednesday? I don't know. Okay. Uh, possibility. But um, they have like five bucks and you can eat whatever you want. If you got a family of four, you got a family of 10, you can bring them, you know, five bucks. Family's not including all of you that say, well, you know what? We're all family. You know, we're church family. We're eat for 20 bucks. But they'll do that. And uh, I, I want to invite you personally because there's something that's really, really urgent about the book of Matthew chapter 24 that I want to preach this Wednesday, Lord willing. And uh, I want to invite you to come out and to be a part of that, to hear that. Uh, one great thing that we do have, we shouldn't always abuse it, but one great thing that we do have is that all the services are recorded. They're also live streamed and all that. So you always have an opportunity if you're working or you're sick to do that. But if you can be here the message about the parable of the fig tree that's going to be in Luke chapter 20. I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've been, been here for the last, this is the fifth Sunday on this chapter, chapter six. the most. Today we only have three, so that's probably maybe an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes worth there. But uh, I notice y'all don't laugh at that anymore because you know it's true. Uh, look at what it says in verse number one. It says, when he opened the fifth seal that John saw something. Every single time these seals were opened, they're opened by Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the one that has the scrolls in his hand. He's the one that was given power to do that. It says that they all prayed and all cried aloud in the throne room of heaven in chapters 4 and 5, that Jesus was the one that was found worthy to open the scrolls and to loose the seals. So the Bible says that God is still in control. His son is still in control. And he takes this fifth seal and opens it up. As he opened the first seal, you know, we talked about that the horses that came out, the white horse that came out, second seal the red, third seal the black, fourth seal the pale horse that we talked about last week. How many of you last this whole week looked at Clorox in a different way? You know what I mean? You kept going, I don't know if I'm going to use that or not, you know. Uh, but seeing that, now all those those judgments that, that we called the quadriga, that, that four horsemen came in and, 
they're, man, they're exacting God's judgment and giving it out on this earth. They're led uh, by the reins or held in the reins by Satan. He is coming in in a huge force. God has held him back. But at this time, the people are actually going to get what they've been asking God for, and that is leave us alone, let us do what we want, and God's going to allow the earth to have that someday. And even now, we look at it and we go, well, God's just, maybe, God's not left people still calling God the Father is still drawing people in Jesus Christ that was lifted up on the cross he's still drawing men and women unto himself but imagine when God says okay I'm going to give you what you've always asked for for me to leave you alone and then Satan comes in and goes finally God's out of my way and I'm going to take this earth and I'm going to have rule over it and I'm going to reign now all of a sudden the Bible says that Jason that Jesus opens the fifth seal and when he sees what happens he looks again and this is different. It seems like that this is not a judgment that's coming, but it actually is. It's the result of these other verse 9. He says, When he had opened the fifth seal, he says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. It says, and for the testimony which they held. If you want to write in the margins or in your notes right there, a margin in your Bible, these people were slain, they were beheaded. Beheading was what was going on. Even during the time that John was writing this down from the Isle of Patmos, this is what was going on. Paul himself laid his head on the chopping block. They took his head off. The reason that that was going on is because these emperors by the name of Nero and Domitian and Trajan, all these guys that were coming in during the days of John, that was to do nothing but to inflict absolute terror and fear upon people. While they saw the heads come off and roll, they were actually saying that we are inflicting 100% fear and we want people to be terrified by what we're doing. And when it talks about that these were slain in the book of Revelation, if you wanted to make this side note, in Revelation 20 and verse number 4, it says that they were beheaded. And they were beheaded, and we're going to talk about it for a moment. Listen, first thing I want you to see this morning is that we see these people are those who are poured out. The Bible says in verse number 9 that we see these that are poured out. And as you're taking notes this morning, John turned and he looked, and it says that where he looked at. Look with me in your Bibles. Take your Bibles and look at verse number 9. It says, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw, look where it is, under the altar, the souls of them that were slain. For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. The Bible says that John looks now and he sees that these people are killed, but John's having this experience, Brother Keith, where he is seeing from heaven what's going on. He has seen Jesus in heaven open the scroll. Brother Carl, he's in heaven and he's viewing all these things from the throne room. And as Jesus opens the scroll, what happens? Bible says that John looked down and he opened that one, that first seal. It says that on the earth, what happened? The Antichrist rose up riding the white horse, the one that came in as a conqueror. He saw all those other things happening on the earth. And God was giving him this kind of wonderful picture of what he was seeing in heaven, but also these things that were going to be inflicting the earth. And now John sees all of these people that have been beheaded and all these people that have been slain, but yet where he finds them is that he looks over in heaven underneath the altar, and he says that they were crying out. He said, I saw underneath the altar for the word of God. You know, God told Moses back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, he said, Moses, he said, I want you to build me a house where I can dwell with my people. 
to a mountain and he says that he gave him the law, which, <coughs> which is nothing more than giving him the word and trying to help these people out. It says that not only that, but he says, whenever you build these things, he said, I want you to build it in the pattern that I Make it exactly like I tell you in the mountain when we're speaking. You're going to make it exactly that same way. He said there's going to be silversmiths that are going to come and work for you. Goldsmiths. There's going to be woodworkers. There's going to be all these things that are going to happen. But I don't want you you to make it exactly like I tell you to make it. It's going going to be so tall. It's going to have so many silver sockets. It's going to have so many cherubim sewn in the work of the linen. It's going to have all of this stuff. You're going to have a white make it just like the pattern that I show you. Now you could look at this scripture was just referring back to what he already knew about the earthly tabernacle. And why we think this way, I'll never understand. Why can't we just look at the scriptures and understand that first of all, God told Moses to make it after the pattern that was in heaven. So God had the pattern in heaven already. This is not John saying that what was going on in heaven looked something like earth. It was actually him saying what we studied and read about that was on the earth is actually true and pattern after what is in heaven. Y'all understand that? Shake your head if you do. It's like this, okay? It means that he was saying, God, everything that you've said is true. altar that's there. There is a brazen altar. There is a golden altar that incense are offered on. And the Bible talks about that later on in the book of Revelation. So we can't talk about it today. But look, what was this altar? It was just like that one that was the brazen altar. Listen, Leviticus chapter number four, verses one through seven says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel saying, if a soul shall sin through ignorance, against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring, look at this, for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for what, church? A sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. But look at these words right here. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all of the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Why are these things done? Leviticus 17 verse 11 says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to do what? To make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. You know what atonement is? It actually means that it has paid the price or it has set you aright, okay? Something to be atoned in something means that something had to happen where there was division or there was something that was wrong that separated you, but to make an atonement for you 
you means that you were brought back or you were reconciled or you were atoned for that God actually says, okay, I will do something because of your sin has separated yourselves from me. I'll do something to bring you back. And what I'm going blood because that's where I put it he said then therefore I will make atonement through blood look at the picture I think it's right here of the tabernacle Maybe you can see that good picture right there. This is, this is actually one that's in the, the wilderness uh, in Egypt that's uh, a model uh, and that, that they've made together. Uh, I, I've never gotten to go and see this one. Uh, let you know there's also one in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, <laughs> and other places like that where they have temple and do different things like that to kind of show you illustrations. But I want you to think about it for a moment, and I'm just going to kind of point to some things right here. But if you look, this would be the entranceway over here. You would come in the gate here. Now, first of all, you would never be able to come in. If you were not a Levite, if you were not a priest, you could never go in there, so you could just hang it up. But you would be camped on the outside of it all. There were three tribes camped to the north, three to the south, three to the west, and three to the east, okay? They were all camped out, and what would happen is, as you come to the gate of this area right here, and we're going to go in, no other way could you go in. It was blocked off. And it was blocked off by a white curtain, which was the representation of God saying, this is my place, this is my house, and it is holy, and you will not bring your sinful flesh and sinful things here without something. And what is it without? Without atonement, without blood. So therefore, looking at this, you would think that this place would be one of these places that were glowing and that was just a beautiful place. But it was the sound, it was the smell of flesh burning. It was the smell of blood from animals burning sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices. And you would come up and what would happen is, Brother Brian would sin, and as he sinned, he would say, Lord, I have to have forgiveness of my sins. And God said, okay, I've made a way for you, for you to atone for your sin. You'll bring a bullock, and you will lay your hands on that bullock, and you'll put your sin by laying your hands on that bullock. You're placing your sin on that animal. Because life is in the blood, and it's either going to be your life for your sins, or someone else is going to atone for your sins. And so that bullock was acceptable by God. They brought it to the priest, and then they took it here. If you look there, that small We go over here today. For all you people that are over here, there's more people over here this morning. We're tilted. If you look there at the box, you can see that thing. You really can't see it well, but it has horns that are on the end of the altar and uh, the corners of the altar. And what would happen is as they would bring that sacrifice and bronze would come up, they would slay that animal on tables on either side of that. They would drain the blood and they would catch the blood in a basin, in a bowl that was rounded on the bottom. And then they would take that animal as his body or his carcass was split open and was ready and uh, they would hang that on the horns of the altar and Brian would go back probably like many Jews would and they would go back to their tents and hopefully looking over trying to see if they could see in there or not. And there's, there's our bullock. And knowing that our sins are forgiven. You say, Brother Steve, do you think they did that? I know a lot of Christians that come two, three, four months ago and they're still saying, you think God forgive me? Yes. Yeah. Amen. And it's by the blood of his son. 
us from all unrighteousness. But looking at this picture, then you had the laver that was in there where they would wash their hands and their feet before they'd go into what was called the sanctuary or the holy place. Inside there, real quick, we're going to go real quick. Inside there to the right was a table of showbread. A lampstand, the seven branch lampstand that the light was shining on the gold. Could go in. There was an altar of incense. It was a little small golden altar that was patterned after that brazen altar there, but it was just smaller. This is what the priest would take the blood of that bullock, and then he would run his finger into that blood. And when he walked up, Brother Brian, not to this door there, but when he got up to that door, he would take that blood and he would sprinkle his fingers down in front of the doorway, which would be on the dirt of that, of that uh, uh, desert floor and would sprinkle that blood down before he walked in. And as he walked in, he went to the altar of incense that was prayers. And on the four horns that were on the corners of that small altar, he would take that blood finger and he would dip or tip, whatever you want to call it, those four horns of that altar. Then after that, after that was done and the sacrifice had been done and consumed, seven, he would go back out and he would take that bowl of the blood that was left and he would pour it underneath the altar. Poured around the basin of that brazen altar and underneath the altar. The blood, you, you can't imagine when those Israelites were in Egypt, when they were coming out of. Imagine how many blood soaked areas there must have been from the sacrifices and sacrifices that they, that they did. You can't imagine as they took the rest of the blood of that animal that had life and they poured it underneath that altar. And imagine all of those sacrifices, not only for Keith sinned, when Becky sinned, when Jack sinned, when, when Harrison sinned, all the people sinned. You've got to think about this. If you were all in sin, and, it, and, man, and if it hit us wrong, we all sinned the same day. And all of that animal is being consumed and it's going up. And listen, it is being accepted by God as a sacrifice for sins. But in the inside, in the inside of this place, the blood that was tipped on the altar and filling the room with the first essential oils. <laughs> right? When it was filling the room there, listen, that was God accepting the sacrifice. It was also Him accepting our asking and our prayer and our pleading for forgiveness and for atonement of our sins. Outside, it was brutal. Inside, it was just smelly flesh of the animal burning because of judgment on the altar and the fire just absolutely, listen, licking up all of that animal. But on the inside... It was God saying, I, I'm, I'm getting in touch with your heart. I understand that that's why you brought the animal. It's because for you. Listen, why? In this chapter of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 9, he says that he looked and he saw that the 
slain, but look at why these people were slain, church, two of them, for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. These people in the tribulation time are going to be killed because they believe in the word of God and they're going to be killed because they believe in the testimony. What's the testimony, church? The testimony that they will have is that is the Messiah. Israel, these people, God's covenant people, they're actually going to They're going to have to believe, just as you and I, that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is Lord. Period. Slain that are under there, they're called martyrs. You know, a martyr, me and Jacob was talking earlier, a murderer is just given their life for their faith because of what they believe. You look at this, he says that these souls, he, he saw the souls underneath the altar. It's like, like what he was saying there, Brother Adam, was he was saying that out of the sacrifice for sin offering, he said their blood was all underneath that altar. And hang with me this morning because it's very important that you remember that part. The second part is this right here. Not only were they poured out, but number two, they, they cried out. The Bible says we see these people and John sees these people as that they're crying out. Look at verse 10. It says, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? They cried out. Now listen, you got to understand something. Bodies and blood doesn't cry out. When people have been killed or as the Bible says slain or uh, martyred, they, those people don't cry out anymore. Their bodies are gone. They cease from speaking verbally like we're talking about. So we got to understand what John's talking about. John's saying that when he sees the souls of those that were... Be Listen, they were sacrificed, they had to endure, and they, if they didn't endure all the way to the end of the tribulation, they would not be saved. He says, but because they held on, they died. For what? For the word of God and for their testimony. Now the Bible says something that's really weird, and it doesn't seem right to us, but we got to look at Scripture. that he heard them crying out. We don't hear dead people crying out. Okay? Now listen, I know that you think there's people in your house, you know, and you're crying out. Dead people do not speak. They don't. If they do, they're not dead. Okay? If they don't, then they Look at what Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 10 says. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. He slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? We probably said it like this. Where is Abel thy brother? Right? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? Now look at this. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. What God is showing us is that that blood that was taken in murder or in martyrdom, you know what he's talking about? He's saying that blood is crying out. What's it crying out for? What, what, is, Jesus, excuse, what is God's word trying to tell us? That that is crying out for vengeance. And they were doing nothing wrong. And then an evil person comes along and takes their life. Everyone wants what? Justice. But people want justice. And the Bible says that John 
to the Word of God and because of the testimony that they held. It says that they were crying out. It says that their voices was crying out the same way that Abel's voice cried out from the earth. God told other, and your brother's blood is crying out unto me for vengeance, for justice. Cain, I can't let this slide. I can't let this pass. But listen, if you would have presented an offering that was acceptable, would you not have inquired and asked of, would you have not been accepted also? But he says, you've done this thing. You know, I've often thought of this, and I have a picture on my phone. I won't share it with you today, but I have a picture on my phone. I've often thought about, I wonder if Adam and Eve, before they sinned and disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, I wonder if out of that garden, kicked out of that wonderful place of paradise and peace, if they would be lifeless body looking at the other and realize the things that you teach your children, they're taking it in. They're taking it in. I hear dads all the time talk about, well, I can handle drinking and I can handle all this. What if your kid can't? That's what everybody says about our sins, is that we can handle it. You know, that's what the drug addict says today, brother. Or we're rolling them into a funeral home, and they're dead. They're gone. But your sins, what you do in front of your children, what you allow them to do, if you only knew the results that may come, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. I'm telling you, you wouldn't be okay with it. If you ever had to wake up in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock, and shoot up in between their fingers and in between their toes because they have a job interview, but yet, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. If you could only see the images of people that I've prayed with who were locked in closets, worn out from work and so they went and stopped by the ABC store or stopped by the bar and got drunk off of their behinds and come home and stripped the clothing off their wives locked them in the closet after beating them and putting a chester drawer in front of it has behind the door but all we see are billboards and commercials of all the beauty of it all you need to go down to the prisons you need to go down to the jail cells you need to go see people that I have been with, that I've graduated with, that I went to school with and didn't graduate with, that upside down to where they were some of the strongest men and women, beautiful, good-looking guys who absolutely have nothing now. Because why? Because of drugs? Because of alcohol? No, because of sin. Church, the Bible says that these people... Their blood is crying out. And I want you to see something here that's different from this church day that we live in. Bible tells us that Jesus cried out, but did he cry out for justice on the cross? Did Jesus cry out for vengeance on the cross? We don't see that. The Bible says Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Hey, I'll tell you what, it's been said unto you that you should hate your enemies. He said, I tell you, love your enemies. Amen. And we look at Jesus and go, man, that's tough. That's hard. Then he comes along and he says, yeah, hey, none of that. If somebody slaps you, you turn the other cheek. That doesn't mean what I was taught, that you turn their other cheek. 
You know what I mean? No, it, you give them the other. If someone steals your, you know, your, your jacket, then you give them your shirt. You do all this stuff. Jesus comes along and he's dying on the cross and they're spitting on him, telling him to come down if you're the Messiah. They call him the king and they do all this stuff. They beat him nearly to death and he's there bleeding out on the cross. He's suffocating and all of a sudden he says, Father, forgive them. If you were on the cross, you would have said, God, get them. <laughs> Kill them all now. You would. Don't look holy. You would. You would cry out, God, get vengeance. But Jesus showed us what he was trying to teach us as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, that we are to forgive. We are to extend as much grace as we can. Why? By the grace that's been given unto us. We are to forgive as what? As the forgiveness that we have obtained. Amen? Even Stephen learned that lesson while they were stoning him. What did he do? He did just like his Lord did, and he said these words while they were stoning him, throwing rocks at him, and he's about to die, what did he say? He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. No, you would have said, God, throw rocks at them. You know what I mean? God, stop all this, and you get them. Peter, same way. Peter said the same thing. Paul, Paul said the same thing all throughout that. But in this scripture, there's something different. These people are not crying out. Brother Jason, for God to give mercy, for God to extend grace to them. We're not in the, let me, let me say it like this, the way that Dorothy said it. We're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in the church day in this book of Revelation chapter 6. We are not in the day. Spirit is drawing people and pulling them. We're not in that moment. No, these people are in seven years of God's judgment where he has what? He has turned and he has allowed judgment to come upon them. And now these people who have actually come to faith and that they have to, as the Bible says in Matthew, endure to the end. Listen, church, these people are saying, God, how long are you going to let this go on until you execute vengeance upon them? God, how long are you going to let this just keep on going until you avenge our blood. It's different. It's a different prayer. It's a prayer. That but understanding these Israelites, they're saying, God, we endured. These people in the tribulation, we've endured. We've all the way to the end. When, when are you going to do that? The Bible says that they're crying out for this. And that, that prayer is going up. Remember, it went in. And don't you look at these words, and we're going to go to the next point. It says, they cry with a loud voice. Look at verse 10. Saying, how long, O Lord? Look at these two words, holy and true. How long, O Lord, holy and true? You know what that means? It's talking about the holiness of God and the truth of God. It's talking about His righteous judgment that He can give. During this time of tribulation, church, it's not going to be a God that goes, hey, Oh, it's okay, we'll stop all this. My son will do it all. No, it's a God that says, I came to you. I sent my son to you. I sent the Holy Spirit to you. I ordained and wonderfully made a church, which is called a people that are called out. I did all of that for you and gave you opportunity, space of opportunity to repent. No, in the tribulation time church, this is a God saying, no, this judgment will have to last seven years. Church, can you imagine for one moment, any 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 dads in here got children, raise your hand. Moms, you got kids, raise your hand. Can you imagine that if it was your son 
or your daughter that was being crucified and that you had to watch and that you had to wait until it was accomplished. You know what? Some of you may think that you would be spiritual enough to go, you know what? I can handle it. I could stand it. But the first stripe across the back would cause you to go, you got to stop. It would cause you to run in and say, get your hands off of them. That first nail that was picked up before it could ever be, Sister Darla, pierced into the hand of your son or your daughter, you would say, you are not doing that. And you would look at them and you would go, because you are not worthy for my, my child to die. No way would I do that for you. But you know what the Bible says about God our Father and about the crucifixion of His Son? you know, sadistic God. He's not, listen, you know what it says? It says it pleased him to bruise his son. It pleased him to put him on the cross. Most people see God, the Father in heaven, turning his eyes and not looking as Jesus is dying on the cross. And that is not true. That is not scripturally correct. The book of Haggai actually says that it talks about that God does not desire to look upon sin. They were saying, God, you don't want to look at that stuff. That doesn't mean that God can't look. He looked on you while you were yet a sinner. He looked on your life knowing you're a sinner and still loved you. Amen? What the Bible is teaching us is that during that whole time, Brother Mitch, while his son was on the cross, he saw those things. And he endured those things. And you say, Brother Steve, that is just weird. That is just corrupt. And that is just crazy. I can't understand how any father would want to do something like that or allow others to do that. It ought to show you this. But he was willing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That he would do it. That he thought that much of you. And listen, the world is telling you today you're no good. You don't look right. You, you, you don't fit in. You don't do this. And Satan's over there whispering in your ear, dangling nooses and guns. Get you to think that nobody loves you, nobody cares for you, and there's a whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation that teaches you that there is a God, there is a Creator, there is a Father that loves you so much that He would not harm you, but yet He would give His own Son. But, here's the words, He's holy and true. You know what that means? If you reject Him, He said, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And he tells you, if you will believe and trust in my son, Jesus Christ, as he is lifted up, he said he will draw all people, all people, all men nigh unto him. And he says, if you'll trust and believe, he said, and daughters of God, the children of God. And so when God says that, you have to take the other end of it. If you do not, then you're going to suffer in judgment and wrath. That's what he says, church. Listen, we're going to go through this last part. We've got to see that these people right here, God tells them the last thing is that they must hold out. They've got to wait. We see that they've got to hold out. 
It says in verse number 11, white robes were given to every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And you look at that and you go, Lord, why in the world? Why do they got to wait till other people? Why don't you just stop it? Why don't you just stop it? Because God gave his word in Daniel and said 490 years are determined. And God's not going to, Brother Craig, go, all right, well, we're going to just, we're going to cut it short. We're going to stop it because, you know, all, no, he says, 490 years are determined and when that seven years begins to tick again he's going to say it's done listen I'm gonna tell you something real quick you need to listen to this I know you stayed up and you watched Florida and LSU all night but you need to wake up and need to listen to this because this pertains to everybody in here this pertains to all the kids that are in the back all the way up here to the front you need to pay attention and listen because there's something that God's saying you continue to reject the message you're hardening your heart against God you continue to go away and you continue to shut things down and you continue to shut the pastors and the preachers and the Word of God down, I'm telling you something, it's not going to be on me, it's going to be on you. God's judgment will come. Listen, he, he said they must wait. And they had to wait. The Bible says, and we'll give you these things as quick as I can because there's something I want to get to. Number one, they're going to dress up. The Bible says that they're going to have white robes. White robes will be given unto them. And doesn't it remind you of something? Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 4, it says, For you have a few names in Sardis that have not defiled their garments, that they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Do you remember this church at Sardis? Do you remember who the pastor of this church at Sardis was? He was a guy by the name of Polycarp. Do you remember what happened to the guy by the name of Polycarp, they took his body because he would not defile himself with the world. And they took his body and they began to line sticks around his body and they were going to burn him at the stake. And they told him that day, if you will recant and take it all back, then we will but yet you'll go back and to do the things. But you got to take back the word. You know what Polycarp says, an 83-year-old pastor? He said, good and therefore he was willing to die instead of rejecting the God that was good to him he knew listen I believe if Polycarp could have been here this morning when we were singing good good father he'd have run all over Done me nothing but good, and I'm not going to deny him. Amen. Listen, Polycarp received that wonderful white robe. There's a song that says this. It says, I'll reside in a mansion by the cool crystal stream. I'll dress up in brand new garments that are fit for a king. There'll be more treasure. very much down here but look what's waiting for me church there's a lot that was waiting on polycarp they're going to dress up in brand new garments they may be singed by the earthly by the beheading because they would not bow down or receive the mark of the beast but i'm gonna tell you something god says that's fine that's okay when They'll dress up. Here's the second thing. They'll rest up. Amen. They're going to rest up. God says, you're going to give you a little bit of rest during this time. He said, I can't tell you that the time has stopped, but I'm going to give you rest until these others come in. Matthew 24 says this, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now listen to me. That's not talking to you. That's talking to people in the tribulation time. 
Your salvation is not based on your endurance and what you do good. Your salvation is based on what Jesus did, righteous on the cross of Calvary. Amen. You are saved by grace through faith. You are kept by him and sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. But in the tribulation time, if you choose to wait and say, I'm going to wait to the tribulation time, you must endure to the end. That's what it says. They will rest up. Here's the last one. They'll rise up. The Bible says that these are going to be a part of the first resurrection. You say, Brother Steve, Jesus was a part of the first resurrection. Yep, he was. Brother Steve, the Bible says it will be a part of the first resurrection. The church will be raptured out of here, and all those that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air. How could that be the first resurrection, and that one be the first resurrection, and these people be a part of the first resurrection? Because the first resurrection is the same. There's one resurrection and then there is a resurrection unto death which is the second resurrection that people will be cast into the lake of fire I'm part of the first amen here's the last was committed unto them and the souls I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands look at this and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years he saw the people that were beheaded. Look at the last words. Live. Those that were killed, those that were martyred, those that were dead, are alive. In Revelation chapter 20, because why? They're a part of the first resurrection. Brother Andrew, you go ahead and come on. This is what, this is what I wanted to get to today. Some of you say, well, Brother Steve, since there's going to be a multitude of people that are going to be saved during the tribulation time, since there's going to be 12,000 sealed from every tribe, and since there's going to be a multitude saved, I think I'll wait till then. Well, first of all, let me say something. You're not going to be one of those sealed from each tribe. And you say, Brother Steve, I think I'll just wait and take my chances and just do what I want to, and then I'll get saved in the tribulation. Well, I want to give you the answer to that. No, you won't. Church today, and you die, you're done. You're done. You get no tribulation time. You get no other time. You fail to repent of your sins and to declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. You're done. So all of you that think, I'll wait to the tribulation, you may not even have tomorrow. That would be foolish. Here's the other reason why. You say, oh, brother, Steve, I'll wait till then. You won't be able to. Now. And it's going to even be worse. Listen to these words right here, 2 Thessalonians. And I'm closing. 2 Thessalonians says, Even him who is coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You, you know who that is, don't you? Go back to that, Josh. You know who that is? The one that's coming. The one that's coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. It's the Antichrist. It says, the one that's coming through the power of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He says, when he comes, listen to what it says in the next verse. It says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because why? They receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. So look at this next part. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness is the ending part. But look, it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. Now, here's what you may say. You may say, Steve, 
I'm not understanding God again. All my whole life, ever since I've been a wee little Baptist, all I've ever heard is that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and all of these things. And that's absolutely true. There's no denying that God loves everybody in here. Everybody knows that. We, we hear that all the time. But what we're failing to tell people is, is that not only is God a God of love, but He's also just. And He is what? He is truth. Yes. He's holy and He is truthful. And therefore... He not only is the God that loves you, but He's also the God that says, if you do not, then you will suffer. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. There's a quote, uh, Josh, at the end of it with Warren Wiersbe that says that those that fail, or excuse me, all men and women that will not yield to the love of God, and those that will not be changed by the grace of God, then there is absolutely no way for them to escape the wrath of God. And I know the world puts God in like this mean picture now. Because all you're focused on is love and grace. And then when you hear the wrath of God, you're picturing this God that's like coming at you with teeth drawn and like He's coming to get you. And that's not what He's talking about. Whenever I did wrong and did not obey my dad, whenever I failed to obey my mom, or I would bring report cards home that obviously I failed to obey, period. Right? I did all of that stuff and I brought it in. My dad never grit his teeth and came at me to in vengeance. No, but because he was my dad, because she is my mom, they had to what? Be just. And they had to what? They had to discipline and give justice. Don't do that. Stop that. Don't touch that. Don't do this. Come over here. I mean, anybody in here ever had kids? Don't do all these things, and they do it. There comes a time where you have to go. If you do that again, you're going to be in trouble. And the failure of mom and dad today is the ones that go, you do that again, I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to do this, and you shake your head at them, and you do all your wagon and all that stuff, and then you don't do anything. You know why? Because they look at you and go, you ain't going to do nothing. Look, y'all not fooling me. Your kids are here. You're not going to do anything. At stuff like that. You know what I mean? When I used to do something like that, it was like books came from nowhere and stalks of celery in the kitchen were like, wow! It fixed you. See, God, God is a long suffering creator and He's willing. But what you're doing every time you reject, you know, everybody knows what this is, right? It's chicken. It's an egg. Everybody knows what the egg is. Did you know that inside the egg, you know when you bust it open, I'm not going to bust this one up, but when you bust it open, it's got the runny outside white, and then it has the yolk, the yellow, you know, and doctors tell you to get the yellow. And then next week they'll come out and say it's good for you. Um, you bust this thing. I think Adam's been told that. <laughs> But you know what? You could also underneath it. I told Jacob that I was going to throw eggs at him this morning. What happened? As it continues to get inside hotter and hotter, you would think, okay, it boils. Now, I'm no scientist, but I understand some things, how they work. And what happens is, is that inside the white, and especially inside the yellow, and what they're all doing, 
We're going to do an experiment. Here, Jacob. <clears throat> What's happening inside this thing? Y'all, come on. Let, let's grab like this right here. For real? Yeah, absolutely. Not in line. No, we all got to, come on, get in a circle. We got to all, and, and Jacob, you reach across and get Brody and everybody. We're all tied up. Inside this egg, please stay with me. Don't lose me. Please stay with me. It's very important. Inside this egg are those protein molecules. And that's what happens to them is that they're all together. And the reason that they're in liquid form is because they all hold their position. All the white holds its else. They never lose their togetherness and being grouped together. But then when you stick them all in water and it begins to boil, then this process, spread back out, uh, hold hands like this, arms, you spread them out, it's called denaturization. It's actually changing everything. That group where they stayed together, Brother Brian, and they would stay in a liquid form, when you heat them up, they all stretch out. They all stretch out and they become really stiff. And they spread in a straight line. And so if we had four more people come up and line up with us and line up with us, if we were all together, we could bounce off of each other. But when we get straight in the line, they start grabbing hold of one another and then they... And it gets stiff. But you know what? You can't change this. It can't be unboiled. Now, for all of you science people that are like geeks like me, in the same way it ever was in the beginning, ever, period. I understand. You can take it and you can mulch up all that egg and... From, just think about it. You'll go home. It's in. You're a... Okay. You can put it in that, and then it comes back together, and you can put it no, You can't. It will never go back in the same way. It will never go back in the shell. It will never go back. And listen to me. You keep... You continue as the fire and the heat of God begins to get hotter and hotter in judgment, and you keep doing it. Ma'am and sir... Receive him. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse number 28 declares that and says God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what that means? It means a debased mind. Brother Mitch, it means a mind that will not, cannot function and think on the things of God. You know why? Because they have been denatured, they have been denaturalized. And they have allowed themselves what God says. You need to hold on to these things. Now they've said, nah, that ain't no big deal. And they've stretched out. Now they've become so hard that, look, you can't do anything with them at all. Now my question is, how far away are you from that? Does church bore you? Does worship cause you to laugh at night when the church is gathered together and they may not sing a modern song and it causes you to mock and to laugh and to do it in a funny way, you are hardening every single time you do that. At that, and you continue, every look, everything, you are hardening and hardening and hardening. When the preacher 
and that He wants to help you. And you choose to continue to just go away and away and away. You are becoming harder and harder and harder. And eventually, you hear God. Well, how dare God do something like that? No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. How dare has sent grandmothers to you. When He has sent granddaddies who you used to sit on their knee in church. Who sent moms and dads who held positions in church. Who taught you the Word of God. Who has sent preachers to preach and to help you. Who has sent first priority people to speak to you. And say, please, let's just have prayer before we work. And you continue to say, listen, listen. No, 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 no. And you become so hard that you can't ever go back to the same way you were. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to you. Come now while you hear Him. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Don't come down and say, God, oh, I promise I'm not going to do all this. I'm not going to do... No, no, no. Say, God, with your help and your forgiveness, God, please help me to live a life that's pleasing unto you. I don't want to turn you away anymore. God gives you a church that has services all the time. And instead of going, you say, they're always over there. Instead of coming, you say, oh, well, it's no big deal. I don't have to. You're just turning yourself against what God wants you to do. Don't you know that God loved the church so much He gave His Son for it? And that Jesus loved the church so much that He gave His life for it? Listen, I know that's a goofy, goofy illustration, but you can't unboil a hard-boiled egg. And you can't fix a heart that's hardened and reprobate against God. And God eventually in the tribulation time, Brother Keith is going to say, you've always wanted a world without me. You've always wanted to do what you wanted to do. And you didn't want my presence. And you didn't want my peace and my love. You can have it. And for seven years, Satan's going to run around laughing and having a good time. Murdering people will be martyred. People will die by the droves. Satan's going to have his reign. But that doesn't mean God's finished. God says... You're going to have to wait until the time is over. But just because I'm making you wait, that doesn't mean I have forgotten about you. I will adjust and I will make amends and I will have justice. Church, that's what this scripture says. That's what the Bible says. I know it makes us get quiet. I know it makes us think. But I thank God for that because I am so tired of jumping around in church services feeling good and people going out there and they're not changed. I'm tired of people raising their hands and saying that they love God, but yet they're doing all kinds of sinful things throughout the rest of the week. Oh, so aren't you tired of that? Where's the true church? Where's the people that say, God, never let my heart get hardened or turn bitter or anything? Father, we love you. God, this is your time. Lord, your invitation. Lord, I thank you for the quietness and the stillness. And Lord, I thank you for speaking to our hearts and that it hits home. Please help us as we talk and we come and we speak to you. Lord, we love you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, I just want you to stand up real quick. There's some coming. Just real quick, don't... 
I just want you to be alone with the Lord for a moment. You're going you're gonna to think Satan's going to try to whisper in your ear and say, oh, don't, don't, don't go down there and pray today. The, everybody in the church will think you're bad. That, that's Satan whispering that. The people that think you're bad are the ones that actually need to be in the altar. The people that would talk about you are actually the ones that need repentance. The thing about it is, is this right here. There's nobody in here perfect. And you've been saved, that's fine. I know that. Okay, if you've been saved, that's wonderful. But you're not perfect. You're not perfect. And you know people that are unsaved. And you said, Brother Steve, what do we do? What do we do? You've got to live it in front of them. You've got to share it with them. You've got to tell it to them. And they're not going to listen to you if you're someone that is continually suppressing what the Lord's telling you to do. You've been saved. You've been called to teach to lead, to do whatever. Whatever it is, you're not. You're not following the Lord. You need to do it. You need to say, Lord, I give up. I surrender all this morning. I know it's not fun. I know it's not popular. And I know it's a hard things to preach about, but that's the church you go to and that's the pastor that you have. And I can't help that because I would rather preach the truth than to preach God's Word. And for you not to like me or shake my hand when we leave than for me to tell you something that's not true or just skip over it because it's too hard. Lord, all belongs to you in Jesus' name. Andrew's going to sing. If you want to come, I'll pray with you.
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Hadn't it been great to be here? Boy, we have heard the truth this morning. Amen. Listen, if you're visiting with us, just want you to be aware real quick that uh, in these bulletins, these tear out. You can fill out your information, anything you want to give us. If you want to be contacted, if you got any questions, maybe you got a prayer request, you can write your questions in there where the prayer request part is. And uh, leave a way we can contact you or get a hold of you, uh, however you like. And then also, if you have a prayer request, write your prayer request there. We have a prayer team who will pray for that and uh, take it before the throne. Amen. And uh, also, the, the basket. The, when you go out those doors, you'll see a little wicker basket with some things in it. You can just slip it right in there, and uh, we'll, we'll get that out of there, get it where it needs to be. I uh, also wanted to uh, make you aware that we have these uh, visitation cards on the back wall back there on your left. These actually, you could fill this out. Maybe there's somebody that's on your heart, that's been on your heart, maybe a family member that you would like us to go out and reach out to and visit. Maybe on behalf of you, if you'd like to come with us, you could. If you don't want to, understand that. You know, we could go on your behalf. We could even get them a Bible. We could put their family's name on it and give it to them. We could uh, put a person's actual name on it. And uh, the church, we could order a Bible for them. we get that done. So that's a wonderful thing, uh, something you should take advantage of. And uh, just pray about it. Ask God, who is it? And get these cards, fill them out. You put them in the same wicker basket, and we'll take care of that. Uh, I just want to close on just this week what we've we've heard the preaching this morning is so true just this week a man I got to witness to a man he was well educated a little bit older than me uh, a technician actually and he he heard the gospel and he he was moved he could feel the presence of God but he wouldn't fully let go and turn himself over to God and I told him before I left I said man I said when I leave here I said if you don't do it today, I said, you're going to get better at the next guy that God sends to you. And you'll get better at the next guy at resisting. And that's why at the end of these services, we always invite you and say, look, don't leave here. When we pray and close out, if you're not sure that you're right with God, please don't get in your car and drive off. We're not in a big hurry. I'll stay here. We'll pray with you. We'll get right today. Amen. Uh, and don't forget, we're, we're, we're getting candy. Bring your candy if, however you can for the, uh, for the youth. Uh, they're having, uh, what date is it? The 30th, is that right? Okay, sign up sheet on the back if your child's going to be there that night. So anyway, sounds good. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the wonderful series that we've been going through and how much we've learned and we're learning about uh, the book of Revelation, Lord, and, and that you're continuing to show us more of who Jesus is, God. Lord, we look forward to these, uh, to continuing on in this and learning more and more, Lord. Uh, uh, thank you for the book of Daniel that coincides, Lord, and that you've not left us in the dark, but that you, you've told us what's going to happen, Lord, and, and that you know every everything, Lord. We love you. I pray that you'd move in our hearts, that we'd reach out to those that you want us to reach out to, Lord, and that we'd uh, not keep putting it off, but we'd get it done. In Jesus' name.